I really think the person who says, I'm not creative, um, you know, just look at your humanity. Just, just change the word creativity for human. And I think that'll solve it for a lot of people. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone, and you can check out some of my work on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Now, if you've been listening for any amount of time, you know that I'm always talking about our free Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's a place where creatives of all types have raised their hand to say, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. Now, if that's you, I would love to have you a part of that group. But also, I would like to let you know about the Daily Creative Habit newsletter. And if you go to dailycreativehabit.com, you will find a place to join the free Facebook group and also to receive the newsletter. It comes out two times a week right now. It's Mondays and Fridays. And it's filled with some journeys from myself um, where I'm sharing experiences in my own creative journey. And then also it is filled with some creative prompts and some other resources that can help uh, regardless of whatever your creative expression is. So if that's something you would like to receive, again, it's absolutely free. Just go to dailycreativehabit.com and I look forward to having you become even more a part of things. Now for this episode, I get to speak with Rich Kirkpatrick, and he is someone who I met way back a bunch of years ago at another creative conference, and Rich is just an amazing creative person. Uh, Music is his background, but he also writes, and he has a new book out called Mind Blown, Unlock Your Creative Genius by Bridging Science and Magic. And we not only talk about um, Rich's past as far as how creativity showed up in his life growing up, and how he came to write this book, but also these elements of you know what he calls science and magic in creativity. And I love that he talks about both these things because it's not an either or type of thing. It's a very balanced approach to creativity. And we talk about that, we talk about expanding our definition of what creativity is. I talk about this all the time too, about how people normally think, well, if I can't draw, if I can't paint, if I can't play an instrument, I can't dance, if I can't do any of the quote obvious expressions of creativity, I must not be a creative person. But we talk about how to dispel that myth as well. I know you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Rich Kirkpatrick. Well, hey, Rich, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's a little earlier here on the West Coast, but like I showed you earlier, I had my coffee. So Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and we'll hope that that just <laughs> continues to work its way through your bloodstream <laughs> and into our conversation. Uh, yeah, and I could be caffeinated for the both of us, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I don't want to put everyone to sleep either, myself no, to no. sleep, so... <laughs> Well, you know, I'm excited to talk to you today about creativity. Obviously, my favorite topic in the entire world. Uh, I think there are some things that we're probably just kindred spirits on in that regard. 
And um, we're going to get into some of your work and some of your background and journey. Um, but just for anyone who is listening right now and they're like, hey, who is this guy? Give us a little snapshot of who you are, what you do. Well, I am an author. I This is uh, my second book coming out called Mind Blown. And it's about unlocking your creative genius uh, through magic and science, which are more metaphors than literal, but they are literal in a way too. Um, my first book was for church musicians. And so that book uh, for worship leaders was out like, I don't know, eight years ago, a little, little book, but this new book is, you know, it's a, it's taken me years to write it. So, so I've been writing, I've been a blogger since way back in the day, 2005. So that's mm. ancient for blogging, blogging <laughs> world. Um, so I, I've been writing and didn't know I was writing and learning how to get better at it. Um, eventually writing for different publications, um, online, uh, some with my name on it, some without, um, I've been a musician, like I said, in church, but also um, over the years, um, all sorts of different things, a, a vocalist, a pianist, a composer. I have a group I'm in with my daughter um, called The Beautiful Liturgy, and we're um, a duo, and uh, which is fun. And so I'm out here in the West Coast in the East Bay, East San Francisco Bay Area, just uh, recently moved from LA, but this is kind of closer to hometown, which is San Jose. Well, with all the tech nerds, I grew up with <laughs> nice. uh, soldering, the smell of soldering around. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I've, you know, come from a, a, a blended family. We have four brothers, five of us actually in total. And that was a lot of fun growing up. Um, I don't know what else is interesting. Yeah, you know, you, you're since you've started talking about growing up, uh, one of the questions I usually like to ask my guests is, really tracing back the roots of creativity, right? And so as you think about your childhood, was there an experience that you had or a moment where you knew, hey, I am a creative person. Uh, this is something that I, is showing up in my life. And maybe obviously when you're a kid, you don't put it in those terms, but just this moment or this experience you may have had that was like, yeah, you know what? Like this is waking me up to something that I want to pursue more. Well, besides people, uh, teachers saying, uh, Richie, pay attention in <laughs> class, um, you know, my mind would always just create worlds and, and just an imagination. And, and I always loved to, to draw. That was one of the first things that I did as a kid. Um, and, and so somehow it just, those things drew me in, pulled me in, um, singing was something I loved to do, even though some lady at a church choir told me that. I was terrible a singer. I was monotone. I shouldn't be in the middle. It should put me on the back end of the choir. Ended up being a professional singer, raising my kids on that gift. So, but you know, so even with all those those um, cues as to you know you're not paying attention and um, you could never. Oh well, this is probably the moment as a teenager. If I could just distill it into a moment, yeah. when my parents decided to buy a piano because they felt that I was left out. My older brothers got guitars. And I was about 13, I think, and the piano was there and I started playing it and I don't th think I ever rode my bike again. <laughs> I was just stuck at that piano thinking that something was keeping me there um, and start taking lessons and brothers would tease me, say, well, why do you keep playing? And, and earlier on, I was teased too, because that kind of goes to the story of being stuck in the bathroom, singing as a five-year-old with wonderful acoustics. And when you're in a tiny little house um, with a family of seven and you're occupying um, 
the bathroom, <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're going to get, uh, you know, kind of pounced upon. So I think all those things kind of just came to fruition when I was a teenager, those memories as a little kid and liking to draw and singing. And then the piano was just like, wow, there's something calling me um, to this artist thing, whatever that is. Mm. Yeah. And what was it that convinced you that this was your path forward um, and and to not listen to the voices that say, this isn't practical, you can't make a living from this, you know, all those voices. How did you navigate that? Well, I think in high school, we had this tremendous vocal jazz group. We won national awards and we were kind of uh, the bad news bears of high schools in East San Jose. So, you know, we, we were actually more popular than our football team. Um, our little jazz sextet, six of us. Um, and it was like, I could do this. Look at this. We're just these kids from, you know, a school that doesn't win any sport games, um, getting national awards. And the principal is putting our picture in the wall of fame in the office where you normally have the trophies. Well, there's our stuff. And, and that kind of gave me the idea, you know, I could do this somehow. I don't mm -hmm. know how, but I could do this. And, and that's against the voices of a lot of creative people that know, you know, this is not practical. You know, you shouldn't do that. Get what's, what are you going to fall back on? Um, all those typical tapes that play. Yeah. Yeah. Were there moments where you thought, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is going to work, you know? And, and if so, like, what did that look like for you? Well, almost every day. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I could do this. Um, I think there's a, a probably got it from my mom, very stubborn streak that determination that just, it's just stubbornness. It's not like this wonderful character trait, I suppose, just that <laughs> if I want to do this, I'm going to do it. And I went to music school against my mother's, um, that's lost my dad at that time. So, you know, she was a single parent with my two younger brothers. I was a young adult, graduated from high school, wanted to move out, of course, had the scholarship to music school. And I, I was going to go. Um, and even though I didn't know I could do it, didn't know if I could eat, didn't know, you know, I didn't even know I'd be sleeping on couches sometimes and all that kind of thing. But somehow um, I just uh, was stubborn, said, I'm going to do this. I don't know what else to do. Hmm. I think maybe that's the key. <laughs> if you have absolutely <laughs> no backup plan, uh, then the parachute actually is your work. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that from a lot of the people. I've experienced that a little bit in my own life as well. Um, and, you know, I, I resonate with stubbornness. Uh, sometimes I call it tenacity. Uh, if I'm feeling like I want to put a more positive spin, <laughs> but there is this sense of like, I, I am going to figure this out. I have to figure this out. And then it forces you to get really resourceful and tap into your creativity in a different way because you're like, okay, now I'm problem solving and I'm problem solving my life a bit right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I need to figure out the path forward. Um, and you know, every single person that I talk to and when I ask them about their journey, it's never this calculated, just up and to the right, constantly moving forward type of line. It's this, you know, we've all seen the, the, the uh, illustration, you know, it's the squiggly line. It's all kind of almost like a, a knotted up ball of twine um, because there's, there's sidesteps and missteps and, and then some forward and some around and things that you never anticipated. Um, what parts of your journey do you resonate with that 
with, you know, like, how did you see that play out in your own life? Well, I think, you know, um, the story of my family, my mother who was abandoned as a child, never knew her mom or her dad and how she basically had to figure out how to live life, how to thrive. And so I think that kind of taught us boys, um, you know, unfortunately we lost her a few years ago, a wonderful woman, um, who just showed us that, you know, that's, you keep going, you keep being who you are and you keep the agency of that inside of you. And she would, she was somebody who, um, having been divorced and widowed and had been on welfare and had been abused and all these different things in her story, um, and still decided to thrive would tell women, you know, she'd counsel some younger women, um, as a friend, we have a bunch of ladies would come and have tea at her house. She would be in the back with a couple of these women who were going through these kinds of things, whether it was being fired or a divorce. And she would tell them this. This is what at her, at her funeral, I never heard this, but I knew this about her. She said, remember to the women, she would tell them that you're, you're the head, not the tail. And um, that's how she survived. And that's how she would take other women who were not... Um, given opportunity and who were put in situations where, you know, they didn't have as much empowerment as they deserved. Um, and so her sons, you know, um, you know, I think all of us kind of got from her the sense of agency that if it's not going in your direction, that doesn't mean you don't have, you're not the head anymore. Um, it means you got to figure it out or you got to learn how to thrive in that moment. Um, and so I think, um, you know, besides all getting her ADHD and her um, sense of imagination that we inherited, uh, that she would talk about, you know, one way she'd survive, which she'd be going out into the field uh, was farmland in Saratoga that her family had. And, she, you know, her grandmother who raised her and she would try to make worlds so she could survive through it. So it was like, oh, well, she did that. And as you get older and hear more of these stories, um, you relate to, well, I was kind of like my mother. This is kind of how I survived through some difficult things. So part of it is realizing that life isn't in a straight line. And one of the things I tell my kids who are young adults even today is that nothing, uh, the path between point A and B is never a straight line. Um, and, you know, one of the chapters in that book that I wrote actually has this same illustration you're talking about with the creative process, this little swirly line that goes all over the place. Um, but it's really time plus direction equals a destination. If you keep at the right focus in the right way, eventually you're going to get there. doesn't mean you'll get there as fast as the guy next to you, um, but you can get there. And I think that belief um, and the stubbornness to believe that is kind of what keeps you going. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I love having these conversations because I think when, you know, I know when I, I have been in places where I'm like, I need the encouragement of somebody who's been ahead of me, even if it's only a few steps ahead, to hear what they've been through, to hear that what maybe I'm going through is normal and part of the process, and that I can actually contextualize it, even if their story has these different parts to it that I can't relate to. There's usually this thread that runs through that no matter what it is that this person has been through, no matter what creative expression that they have, um, there's this, this lining that you can trace and go, okay, 
this is what I'm taking away from this conversation. This is what I'm taking away from this experience and how I can apply it to mine. And then hopefully be open-handed enough to continue to give that to somebody else who needs to hear that. Um, I think that's just a beautiful thing that we can do in redeeming our own experiences and, and stories and offering the encouragement of the things that we've been through. And as we continue to show up and just live and create, you know, um, one of the things I'm curious about, um, and you've talked about how, you know, it was, it's, it's music and it was doodling, drawing and, and writing, um, this sense of how creativity has maybe changed, morphed, has, uh, it's multifaceted. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experiences with that? Like, what did that look like? And what does that look like in your life today, as far as how creativity shows up? Well, one of the, the, things my curiosity about creativity and and that's why i even ended up writing a book with sixty thousand words or whatever was this whole question is what is creativity what is makes it up um i think a lot of people think creativity is one of two things it's solving problems if you're kind of in the technical side of it or it's making things and i tend to think that it's it's not those things that it's actually what makes us people it's what makes us Mm -hmm. human so creativity, you know, as I create, therefore I am, is more uh, valid than I think, therefore I am. It's it's being a person who does these things that are creative that actually makes me creative. So um, I've had friends who have been engineers that have been surprised at how they're they've been creative. Um, this whole idea of, of you know, I lived in Austin, Texas, as well as a a lot of my formative years in the Bay Area. And so I've been around all these tech people. In fact, my mother, who I just talked about, she used to solder uh, mainframe computers. She was so proud of that job. She'd come home because she was little and she had little hands. So she'd go inside the mainframes with her little um, soldering iron and her wire cutters and strip and and wire together these computers. Um, but it was, so it was around the environment. So these people are super creative, but they're not really you know, the cool creatives are like the mm-hmm. musicians who have the hair, you know, um, <laughs> some of us are both. No, we wish you we were both, but we're not, you know, uh, actually, I, I learned this and this is kind of answering the question in a way is what are musicians are just nerds with really cool hair. <laughs> well, um, some of them don't have any hair, but yeah. So, okay. well, <laughs> if they have hair or cool clothes or whatever it is, or, yeah. you know, that's, you know, it's a, there's two kinds of musicians, those who learn to play guitars for the ladies or, you know, those who really, you know, you know, want to sing, you know, the artist part of it. It's but both are both are part of what creativity is. Um, it's just what makes us human. We have this desire in us, but it's also how we're wired. We are meant to um, make things. And it really is about being seen as people. We want to be seen and an artist wants to be seen, not just for an egotistical or to be powerful, you know, this is one thing I think creative people are misunderstood by institutions because you just want to take over because look at how influential you are. So, well, I don't care. I just wrote a song or I just drew a picture. I just did something. I didn't know if it would have this wake of it. We never know. And this is the, the mystery of creativity. We never know that what we create has these ripple effects like a, dropping a, a pebble. It ends up going further in ways we've never and that's not why we did it in the first place. We want to be seen. And what happens is, is on the other side of it, people are seen. Because in the fact of us solving a problem, which, you know, or creating something or finding, you know, um, what the problem is, which is creative too. All those things, we're seeing people. 
And when people felt, felt seen, that's why they love artists. That's why they love what we do when we create, because that's that. And I would argue that every person has this um, innately in them. Um, argue it from like brain scientists who tell us that the way our brains are made from the eyeballs to the back of the head, um, the whole design of our brain is to create. You know, no other creature on earth, even if they have brains bigger than us, have the, the, the type of wiring that we have to, to dream and create and to mash together different things that, that we see into something different. Um, so I really, that's, you know, kind of the bunny trail answer that that's really what makes us human, creativity does. And so artists, in a, in a sense, kind of help the rest of us see ourselves in what we're doing. And so what we're doing is not just solving a problem, but we're actually helping people be seen, their pain, their dreams, and their hopes. Mm, yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that and resonate with that. Um, there have been times in my life where I know that I've created something simply because I was feeling something or wanted to express something. And I myself wanted to be seen and acknowledge that, yes, you're not the only one who is experiencing this or has. And when I release it and then it touches other people, they feel validated in their own experiences and they feel seen, like you said. Um, and there is something definitely magical about that um, where sometimes, you know, you you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to create this great thing. I'm going to put it out there. It's going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, none of that happens. Um, and you can't orchestrate some of the magic. Um, and there are other times, like I said, where it's just really more of a, um, like you said, you, you create it and you put it out there and it has a ripple effects. You don't really know that that's going to happen in advance. Um, and yet it's, it's when you release it, it kind of takes on a life of its own. Um, so I love that. I also love the fact that you said that um, you, and I agree with this, I think everybody's creative. I think too many times people think when I, when I'm talking with people, they're like, well, I can't draw a stick figure. You know, I can't play an <laughs> instrument. I can't, you know, all those usual things, because that's what people think about when they think about creativity typically is the obvious expressions, right? The arts, if you will. Um, and I think to encourage people to expand their definition of creativity, um, to realize that we are all creative and it can show up in a multitude of ways um, is a much more fulfilling thing to pursue. Um, and I think holistic, right? What would you say to somebody right now if you were talking with somebody and they're one of those people, you know, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't, you know, play an instrument. Um, how do I pursue my creativity? What do I do? What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like what you feel important to get up in the morning with. If you're a teacher, you really want to help students progress and to learn how to read. My wife's an educator. Um, I've seen her just, she's super creative and um, it, it, it comes from, from that spot, from that place. Um, we have engineers and uh, software engineers and they have this thing called elegant code where it, it is that. So I think part of it is seeing what is it, because uh, people, everybody thinks that creativity is just solving problems, like we said, but what if it also, it's something beautiful? What if your work has this quality, this magical quality um, in your teaching and your dentistry, 
in your computer coding that, that it's not just about the fact that you're doing something practical, but you're doing something that's beautiful. And so, you know, this idea of, of, of utility, we're afraid of sometimes the artists, you know, send everything, it doesn't have to have any purpose. Well, but it does because people want meaning and purpose. And so, but it's not just that either. It's not just, it has to have something that is a transcend, something transcendent beyond ourselves for us to feel um, the value of it. And so, um, so I would say that creative work also embodies beauty. And those who say, well, it's only something beautiful, the artist, we kind of send the wrong message to the rest of the world that when we say it doesn't have to be practical, there's nothing more practical than a song about a breakup when someone's going through one and you need to figure out how to process that. Yeah. So I would say that it's a very practical thing to have music, to have poetry, to have um, paintings that just move us in a way to get us to, to, to stop and ponder life. And so we sometimes take these things apart when really they're together. And I say to the person who says, well, you know, I'm this part, I'm, I just do practical stuff for people. Like I'm a dentist. Well, but are you a dentist who, are you interested in helping your clients feel a certain way when they leave your dentistry? What, and you're creating a, a life for yourself as a dentist. You're creating an experience for these people that walk in your door, uh, just like you would if you had uh, friends come over for dinner or you took someone out on a date. So that's creative, uh, putting a party together for friends. Um, those are creative endeavors that mean something because it's, it's you having a transcendent purpose that you're taking um, to give to somebody else. And really creativity, it's, its strength happens in empathy. It happens when I somehow want another person to be seen by seeing myself. It's not selfish. Um, a lot of people who are anti-psychology, I grew up in kind of this fundamentalist mindset, which I've hopefully recovered from, but <laughs> it was just that, you know, th this idea of self-actualization is wrong. Well, no, it's not. Because what they've proven with people who, scientists have proven this, if you journal your traumas, you begin to heal. And the people who talk about themselves and their traumas, over time, the language of their journaling begins, it comes from me and I to we. Mm. So the, the activity of creating is just like that. And so when you're creating your dentistry to create a life, your dental practice or whatever it is you're doing, you actually are... are growing from this point of I want to create a life to look what I'm giving to other people. Um, and it sounds selfish, but it's not because we are meant to do these things. And now if it's only for myself and, and I don't want to give value to people that I won't have a business anyway. Mm -hmm. So, so this is kind of what the practical side of it is. So I really think the person who says I'm not creative, um, you know, just look at your humanity, just, just let's change the word creativity for human. And I think that'll solve it for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, and it, you know, it's it, creativity, I think is something that continues to show up in ways that the more that we look for it, the more we'll find it. Um, the more we pursue it, the more that we can practice it. And, um, and that can look a multitude of ways. Um, for you, as you progressed in your journey, as you continue to progress in your journey, and uh, like I said, moving through these different expressions um, and into when you started writing and blogging, as you mentioned earlier, 
Um, what is it that made you think like, okay, I want to write this book about creativity. Um, why, why now? I think it, part of it is because curiosity. Um, cause a lot of people talk about, and they're right. Here are things, Stephen Pressfield, you know, here are things that get you unstuck and they all work, but what's underneath that? Um, the, the nerdy part of me, um, wanted to, find out what in the world is behind all this. So, you know, um, and they're actually, you know, um, these things called brain networks that you can like muscles grow. Um, there's actually things I've discovered. Um, and, and each of these things I discovered got me further and to even understand the fact of this discipline of curiosity, which is interesting because curiosity breeds curiosity. So if you were to say, I want to look for every green car on the road and you have to first time you have to like concentrate to look for that green car, eventually you're going to see all green cars. And what that is, is opening your mind. And there's these two ways of thinking, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Um, and it's right and left brain is not really even a good indicator of that because and here's the thing, Mike, that I that blew my mind was that imagination is actually logical. So it's not this simply this right brain thing. It's this thing called cognitive disinhibition where you're sort of sort of pulling back to open your mind to something. So you're walking towards a cliff and all of a sudden your gut starts feeling really tight because you see the bottom. Um, that's the frontal lobe of your brain, the executive centers of your brain saying, you could fall, not, not that you're going mm -hmm. to, you're not choosing to jump, but this could be dangerous for you. Your imagination is at work. Uh, it's telling you something very real. And so uh, Dr. Carson, who I quote in my book, she has uh, this, she studied this and explains this that way that, and that's an imagination is logical. So you're trying to figure things out. You're trying to do things. So, so these kinds of things got me so excited. I want to read more. Uh, and I ended up reading these academic papers that about 5% I understood and I had to ask friends, what does this mean? Um, and so just like the green car, uh, this whole idea of the creative process just started, um, you know, uh, blossoming in my head and I couldn't let it go. Um, and, you know, for instance, you know, the idea if I just work harder, I'm going to get a better idea. That constant hustle is when we generate ideas. No, you, you actually need periods of rest. You need this idea of incubation. Um, and then I discovered there was this guy Wallace that in 1926, he wrote out this creative process that had these four stages and literally um, scientists from, from neuroscientists down to academics have studied this over the course of almost a hundred years. They said, this guy was pretty right on. And those four steps you go through your, your first, you know, um, excuse me, preparation, which a lot of us is like, oh, you got to learn how to sing. For me, the music, I had to practice. I had to get all the training, listening to lots of music. And then you get to the point of incubation where it has to have its place, this organic thing. You can't just somehow spit it out yet. It has to have in its time to come out, uh, the ideas to come out. And then all of a sudden it comes out. You have your eureka moment. That's the illumination. Wow. And then, um, you have at the end, you have your execution of it. And that's the part where uh, you have to figure out how to get this thing made and put out to the world. 
and all those things um, I discovered, I had this three steps that I that I used to kind of process how because I think I'm a nerd, I think this way. Um, the dream, the sandbox and the story. And so that was like, okay, those four stages were actually found in that. I said, this, this guy's so smart. Uh, Cause I'm looking back, back at that. And so really it just kept me going. I got more curious and more curious and talked to people. And I was a, a, a driving for Lyft. And so on the way to LAX airport, which is a long drive, even though it could be like 10 miles, but it could take you two hours. <laughs> yeah. um, and I got like um, cooks, I have uh, business people, filmmakers, all sorts of folks. And uh, we would talk about this and they would just love these ideas too. And it just got me going even more. So Mike, it ended up, you know, doing something I never thought I would, which was, you know, write this book um, and, um, and even continue to be excited about it, talking to today. I was like, yeah, actually this is, I feel more awake more than the coffee this morning by even just talking <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah, it's great when you can talk about something that you're passionate about and that has had impact on your own life that you know will also impact somebody else's life. Um, and, you know, in these things that you're talking about, the thing that that is becoming apparent to me more and more that you talk about them is that your curiosity has led you to places that probably you wouldn't have gone unless you started asking those questions and being curious in the first place. But then also, it seems to me very like balanced. Right. Because you talk about like um, like science and magic, you talk about rest and hustle, you talk about like these these places where it's heart and head. Um, and it, it's not it's not leaning one side or the other. But it, like I said, it seems to be a very balanced um, thought and, and, and approach, which I appreciate because I think there's something in there for everyone you can't say, well, you know, that's only for the people who are all touchy feely, you know, and all heart driven, you know, or that's only for the nerds who want the the facts and the figures and the stats of whatever. Um, I think all of that has the place in it. And I think that that's probably more true to what creativity is anyway, um, because it shows up differently for different people. And um, I think the possibilities in creativity are something that, um, I find very intriguing and how you overlap that with somebody's experiences, their makeup, all that stuff. Um, you can get different results, if you will. Um, but yet it's still creative, you know, it's still them showing up in their creativity. So, um, yeah, all I have to it, say, I, I think you, you're, you've, you've uncovered things that are really intriguing, you know? Well, and this idea is a bridge. Okay. So this is these opposites. So, um, I think one of the keys is finding that bridge. What side do you start on is really the question. So 20% about of the population are what we call divergent thinkers, researchers say. So this is the people who I'm going to daydream no matter what. It's just you don't have to ask me. And most artists kind of fit into this mentality. You start with the inspiration and from there it carries you who knows where. Um, and then you have the 80% of our population that are trained because this is how you're told you're supposed to be partly that you start what they call it convergent thinking, which is instead of normal, they changed the word to convergence. So the divergence didn't feel so bad, I guess. But <laughs> so convergent thinking is simply starting the opposite way of saying, you know, let's look at the, you know, the detail first, let's look at the um, facts. In fact, these two different ways of thinking can be seen this way. Divergent thinking, you start with one point and it goes to many places. Um, convergent thinking starts with the many places and tries to sort them down to one, one thing. 
And the truth of the matter is, is both of these things are extremely powerful in creativity because idea generation, creating more ideas has to at some point be edited down to what am I going to do? So um, you start in the sandbox. So the dream is, is basically like Michelangelo saying, I see the inspiration. I see inside the stone, the angel, and I got to release it. Um, and it's actually brain chemistry in the brain that, that somehow allows us to envision, but still with executive centers, this is the idea. So it comes to you, but then you get to the point of, okay, now um, what's my canvas size? What's my budget? What's my deadlines? That's the sandbox. That's the boundaries. That's, um, you know, Dr. Seuss was given a bet. I, I dare you to use only 50 words for a book on your next book. And so he wrote Green Eggs and Ham. So the limitations, he had to live within that. So you, you then you go into that point. And then the last part of it's the story. I call it the stories where you actually take the components of a story. And you try to, to evaluate, is this really me? Is How does it relate to my audience? How do I even sell this or whatever? Um, what's my branding? And you have this three, I had these three, three steps. You can go in any direction because sometimes you have this idea. You get all the way to the story. You realize, well, this is a great idea and I have the budget to do it, but it's not me. So you got to go all the way back or you go directly back to the top of the triangle and dream again for more ideas or hone the ideas. So all that to say is both of these sides of things need a bridge. And um, having a divergent mind means I'm easily able to open my mind to see many possibilities and many answers. And I'm going to wait and to see how it all kind of pans out. The other side is I need to sort and look them you know, down. So if I'm coming from that side, I need to learn to idea generate. If I'm the other side, I need to learn to idea sort. Mm. One saying I need to defocus and see more things. Other saying I need to focus. And the thing is, because artists types quote are 20%, the divergent thinkers, it seems, you know, we kind of get the short end of the stick oftentimes. We're in the situation, a brainstorm meeting, come with ideas, we raise our hand, or just like loving it, and then it gets shut down within about 15 minutes. It's what one um, uh, Harvard Business uh, Review article I read, she, this, the, the woman who wrote the article says, like putting gas and the brake on at the same time. So you can't do these things at the same time, and that's the thing that's difficult. So what I discovered, and what I really think you picked up upon, is we have these things, and it plays itself out, this balance plays itself out in all of life, I believe, because how do we, in a divided society, learn to talk? We have to have an open mind. Mm -hmm. We have to sit in a table with people that we're awkward with. It's like families, when you have the awkward uncle who's going to sit at the table, you he's your uncle. Yeah. You, you have to sit. And so we have to actually then go outside of Thanksgiving once a year and find environments where we are willing to do that, willing to stretch ourselves to open our minds. And this is where the 80% of the population, if they want to be more creative, this is the lesson for them to bridge that. But it's not telling them that what they're already good at isn't creative. Because mm. all those spreadsheets and all those budgeting and all the timelines and all of, of the execution things that business world is great at, that's fantastic. It doesn't say it's, it's a either or. It's a both and, but a bridge to both and not at the same time. And so in this process, creative process, it's not a straight line. It's a, it goes back and forth, which is why I put it in a triangle, because we have to somehow relive things and bounce around a little bit. 
but I wanted to put it in a way that the engineer friends of mine could see, oh, it's actually iterative. So even if I'm going to go backwards, it's an iterative step that's eventually leading me to the execution where I'm going to have to get it done. And for the artist, it's like, you can actually move in steps. You can actually find that, where are you stuck? Um, a lot of times artists are stuck because they don't have the limitations figured out. They don't know, you know, how many words should I write down in this article? Well, that's why you're, I call it blank canvas panic attack. It's like you just, there's no parameters given to you. Yeah. So how do you get the parameters? Well, here's the questions you can ask in your institution. I need these things answered so I can really help you. So all that to say is you absolutely, what's exciting me is this whole idea of the bridge. And, and scientists say that if the ability to go back and forth easily, the agility to do that is where the creative genius is in people and society. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, it's, it's, it's probably step one is taking a look at yourself and understanding what your bias is so that you're aware of what you need to be open to and perhaps move towards so that you do come to this balanced place. Um, it's fascinating stuff. I love the way that you've explained that and framed that. Um, cause I do think that regardless of where anybody is in their journey or how they're wired, somebody listening right now is having that aha moment of like, okay, this makes sense. Um, and this gives me something to engage with as I show up for my creativity. Um, so thank you for that. That's, that was an amazing, uh, explanation of that. And I think very helpful, seriously. Um, so I, I, we're coming to the top of our time, but I want to ask you like with your book, mind blown, what is it that you hope will happen? Like, what is, what is the overall goal that you've, you've written this book, you put it out there now, what do you want to see happen? I want myself and other people to be better at being people bottom line. And I think that comes from being this, having this quality of our identity of being creators, and actually seeing it that way, seeing that that's what life is, that we go through these cycles of creativity, that that's not life isn't a straight line, we live in cycles, seasons of, of life, well, you know, I'm in a cycle where now I have more gray hair than I used to have before. Um, <laughs> But we, but then I'm doing something new again. Um, and so I think part of this is to help myself and others be seen as um, for more of who we truly are. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. And they can find this book, I know, on Amazon and I'm sure other uh, sellers, but I'm sure you're probably selling this uh, directly yourself too, right? On your website or something or, or where, where basically, where can people find you and find your book? Lay some links on us. Well, um, rkblog.com is my site. If you do slash mind blown, that'll take you to the book. So, uh, and also I'm on Twitter, rkweblog, Instagram, rkweblog, because weblog used to be but blog came from, by the way, way back in the day. That's how ancient some of us are. Um, blogging's been around for a while. So, but rkblog.com or rkblog.com slash mindblown, and that'll take you um, to the book. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and I'm sure after this conversation, people are going to want to run out and get this book because uh, it is just going to continue to feed that curiosity and help them give them some frameworks and some thoughts to how they can show up more for their creativity to help themselves and others. So uh, 
again, thank you for this conversation today, Rich. Um, really, thank you for your work. And uh, I mean, I just wish you all the best in your continued creativity. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.